You're listening to an all-new Chasing the Word on Compassion Radio. Good morning, honey. This is time for Chasing the Word on Compassion Radio. It's the second week of a new year, and we decided to jump back into the Psalms of David. Mm -hmm. And since this being the 23rd year of this century, we (laughs) thought, why not? Let's go visit Mm. Psalm 23. Let's do it. Well, this is a very common and well-known psalm, and I think most people who have been in the faith for any length of time probably have it memorized, maybe even in several different versions. The one that's most common to you and I growing up is the King James Version. Mm -hmm. And we wanted to try to focus a number of weeks on different themes that jump out because there's so many ways to approach this psalm. That may sound kind of strange if you've always read it one way all your life. Well, it's only six verses. There's a lot here about the inferred message. Mm -hmm. Surprise, surprise, the 23rd Psalm never once mentions sheep. Hmm. We assume it's all about sheep because the big word shepherd is used Mm -hmm. early on in it from David. Now, we know the association of David with sheep. He had been a shepherd himself. He doesn't approach this song to God as a shepherd. Mm. He approaches it as a sheep. Which always kind of mystified me. He's like, well, he's a shepherd. He should be talking as a shepherd from his perspective. And that's what's interesting to me. There are so many perspectives you can jump into, dig deep into the heart of God, and the heart that he put in us. Understand it much better just by spending time looking through a different set of eyes each time. Yeah. I had a friend tell me one time that if this is the only part of the Bible that she had, it would be enough for her because she can read it over and over and always, because of the power of the Holy Spirit through the Word of God, be moved by it. Right. And I agree with that. This is one of the most powerful pieces of Scripture, most powerful songs, poems there is in Scripture. And I agree because the early church depended upon the Psalms primarily to get mm-hmm. to the heart of God, had to have a worship book. This was their song book. This is the way they did their worship together in the early years. Mm-hmm. And we're talking in living memory of Jesus walking the earth. There were people that were worshiping in fellowships and sharing the gospel that had to bring with them something of a culture to be able to share with people. This is how you respond. Sometimes God shows up miraculously and does miraculous things. Absolutely. And often we read in the first century church the attestations, the testimonies, the actual historical record of what happened to the church and why it was so miraculous. Mm -hmm. But before those miraculous things even began to happen, they had the Psalms. And they had the promise of the resurrection. And they were trying to figure out what does it all mean? Because all of their theology, all of their doctrine had not really been fleshed out yet. All they had was their experience. And so if you approach the word of God as an innocent, if you jumped into the 23rd Psalm and you had no other guide, you had no other teacher, you had no other church or person to guide you through this, but all you had was the word, could you find Jesus in this? Mm. Could you find God's love for you? Could you find him just by reading? This psalm to me tells me about the character and the nature and the will and the action of God in a way that's very personal to the person who is singing this song to God. Mm. So let's jump into it. And the theme I want to start with today is the names of God. Mm. As you and I discovered in reading a number of different translations, the actual word used for the name of God and how he's described is different in most of them. Mm-hmm. They pick up on some nuance about who God is. And sometimes he's named the Lord. Sometimes he's named something else. I want to talk about what it means for the names of God to be used the way they are. And what does it mean to have a name for God? Hmm. But first of all, let's read from a translation of the 23rd Psalm. And just read all six verses. Okay, I'm going to read from The Voice. 
Psalm 23. The Eternal is my shepherd. He cares for me always. He provides me rest in rich green fields beside streams of refreshing water. He soothes my fears. He makes me whole again, steering me off worn hard paths to roads where truth and righteousness echo his name. Even in the unending shadows of death's darkness, I am not overcome by fear, because you are with me in those dark moments. Near with your protection and guidance, I am comforted. You spread out a table before me, provisions in the midst of attack from my enemies. You care for all my needs, anointing my head with soothing, fragrant oil, filling my cup again and again with your grace. Certainly your faithful protection and loving provision will pursue me where I go, always, everywhere. I will always be with the Eternal in your house forever. What a beautiful rendition of that particular psalm. Mm -hmm. It's very modern in its poetry, but it's very close, I think, to the conversational style that David has in writing it. But the first item in that is the eternal. Mm -hmm. And of course, you and I learned different versions of it as we were growing up. And pretty much because the Lord is my shepherd, I have everything I want. I have no need I have no lack. We've sang songs that were adaptations of that. The Lord was the word that we always got hammered into our heads mm-hmm. when we were little. Right. Growing up in a republic, what does the Lord mean? It was always a church term. Of course, in the old world, the original English translations were done under kings. Everyone knew what lords were. They were part of their society. The translation of a leader, an overseer, somebody who was in charge. Everyone just knew the substance of what a lord was. I don't think I did as a kid. Yeah. It was just a strange, lofty term right. for God up there. But when you look at the word that David used, chivalry and modern knights and kings and queens were not part of his vernacular because he never experienced that. He was going to become a king of a whole different kind than what we would think of in Middle Ages or even modern day. Mm-hmm. His word was the big word, the eternal, the one who is bigger and longer and foreverer than me. <laughs> right? Right. And eternal, of course in biblical theology, is not about lasting forever. That's eternity. But the idea of the eternal is one who has no beginning, who has no end, who just is. Mm -hmm. And the great I am, the Yahweh, the Jehovah, the words that were not allowed to be spoken physically by those who worshiped God back then because they were considered too holy to even Mm -hmm. utter. Yeah. We don't have that kind of constraint now, I think, in modern Christianity because we feel like we're comfortable enough with the fact that God's not going to squash us like a bug on the sidewalk just because we said something wrong. We believe he loves us and that we're really truly his children. So we can call him by whatever name comes out of our heart, really, Mm. and he's not going to shun us. He may discipline us, say, you know, this word might be better for what you're talking about, but you're mine, I'm yours, I'm your dad. Mm -hmm. And so we can always be in relationship. Back then... The word really, really was a very dicey thing. If you said something wrong about God, you could lose existence. Or excommunication from the temple or... Yeah, and those consequences would Mm -hmm. be eternal. Right. And when he says the eternal, he says, this is the one who holds everything that ever was, ever will be, and all that is. Well, it encompasses so much of God when you say the eternal. It is every name that God could ever have. Looking at it that way, how does that change our approach to this psalm? Hmm. That's my question for today. 
Well, seeing that the eternal is my shepherd, seeing it in that kind of light, knowing that he is, period. He is before, during, and after. Yesterday, today, and forever is what the writer of Hebrews says. That's the kind of shepherd that we have. We have a consistent shepherd, one that is always there and always watching for us and over us. That brings a lot of comfort to me, knowing that there is this greater being, for lack of a better word, that is always concerned about me and always has my needs and my well-being at the forefront. He cares for me always, is what verse 1 says. Now, that makes a big presumption, though. It presumes that the eternal, the one you can't escape, the one who always has been, always will be, is good. Mm-hmm. We don't have that assurance from early human history that the gods that were worshipped could be trusted. In fact, the vast percentage of gods that are ever mentioned or imagined by men have always been capricious and hard to please. They were the extensions, really, of the worst of human psyche. Yeah. And they would capsulize the things you should be afraid of in yourself and in the world around you. They were out there to engender distrust to create a power structure Mm -hmm. so that humans could control other humans and so that demons could control mankind. I think that's the way most religions and most gods of invention were created. Mm -hmm. And I do believe that there are demonic roots to most gods set up against Yahweh, set up against Jesus, even today. But I think it's almost like play acting. If you got this group of beings called angels, some of which fell and decided to rebel against God and are somehow interacting with this world the way the Bible says they are, They can take on whatever role they want to in order to accomplish their ends. They can give themselves their own names. So I don't think that Satan and the other demons that are mentioned even by name throughout scriptures necessarily were created like that. I think they took on an identity and it grew into that, so to speak, and now are feared that way. And I think men called upon demons across thousands of years ago to become their gods. So they would say, this is your name. This is what you do. Maybe the demon world suggested that to mankind, and they inhabited all that. If you are raised in a culture where that is what you know of God or gods, you would have fear. That would be the very first thing to start with. Not the fear of respect or of awe, but the fear of, I'm in danger here. Danger, yeah. Always. So if you were starting with an an attitude towards the supernatural that I'm in danger, I have no power here. If I don't do just the right thing, I could cease to exist or I could be cast out. You will always approach the divine in a way that is going to be fearful and distrustful of that which is. Mm -hmm. David does not have this. Well, I think David, coming from the background of being a shepherd himself, knows the responsibility that it is to care for the sheep and knows how valuable the sheep are. In his day and age, the sheep were capital that measured their wealth. And it was important to make sure that they were well cared for. And we have to be very careful about going with that particular analogy because we don't want to make it look like God would therefore perceive his people as chattel, as things that are easily expendable, that are wealth to be spent on something else. They are wealth, period. But they are valuable. Valuable, that's it. And I think that the idea of raising a flock and seeing it prosper, seeing your wealth grow that way, it's like talking about your family as a flock. Mm. You know, when you look at your kids, you're not trying to figure out a way to sell them off. If you're really a loving parent, you're thinking in terms of your wealth has just multiplied. Even to gain recognition from the status that you have with your children. I see that David knows the value of the sheep. Yes. He sees the importance of taking good care of them. And he knows that being a good shepherd 
is of utmost importance. He understands that. And so when he then in turn says, the Lord, Yahweh, the eternal is my shepherd, this is the ultimate of good shepherding here. He cares for me always, David says. He's everything that I need, everything that I desire that's going to sustain me is all encompassed in this good shepherd. They say the greatest writers, greatest poets speak from what they know. Mm -hmm. And David is a shepherd. He's never going to see himself as anything but a shepherd with other titles added to it. I think he always sensed himself as being raised to be a shepherd because his most powerful and earliest memories are with the sheep. And again, I got to harken back to the idea that everything about our attitude towards David, the sheep, and God is all inferred Mm -hmm. because he does never once in this psalm mention sheep. Right. But he says, the Lord is my shepherd. So what does a shepherd do? He leads sheep. So Mm -hmm. David is saying, by inference, I am a sheep. Mm -hmm. Or in another way, I think it would be saying that I identify with. I have compassion for, I have empathy. I can enter into what it's like to be a sheep because I've been around them all my life. There is a sense, I think, that the psalm is just dripping with love. Oh, yeah. It is something that David knows. He loved his sheep. I imagine one of the hardest things for him to do when he was called out, even by Samuel saying, you're going to become king, and being sent to go take care of business with his brothers and meeting King Saul and everything changing from that point forward, his whole trajectory in life was radically transformed. He had to lead his sheep. Mm. That must have been a terrible thing for him. That's what he knew. It's what he loved. But he never really left them behind. He kept them in his heart. So I think this whole psalm is talking about he's identifying as a shepherd for the sheep because he believes that God can identify with him as a sheep. And so I think about this being the Lord, the leader, and the led. I mean, you got three different responsibilities and relationships here, but they all seem to overlap like a Venn diagram. Mm. David is both a shepherd. He's also a sheep. And he has a shepherd. And all he's talking about is his experience with that shepherd. Because the Lord is my shepherd. Then he talks about he saying the shepherd. And he says you. He moves all the way into pronouns. Mm -hmm. Starts talking to the shepherd as the one I personally know on a first name basis, really. Yeah. Yeah. Even in these six quick verses of Psalm 23, there are a number of names of God as you started to talk about at the beginning of our broadcast. And Some of them that just jump off the page to me as I'm just skimming through this translation is that he is a caretaker. He's a provider. He comforts me. He heals me, makes me whole again. He guides me. He teaches me truth. He protects me. He feeds me. So he's not just a provider of care and comfort, but he is actually, he's a chef for us. He makes dinner. You know, he us. makes the things he knows we'll like to eat. Right, right. That we need. Yeah. He's uh, also a healer and says he anoints my head with soothing oil. And one thing you just did there, honey, is you jump back and forth between verbs and nouns. People have described God that way. They don't even see themselves snapping back and forth between yeah. those things all the time. But it's really true because you can verbify a noun, you can nounify a verb, <laughs> and they become solid to you somehow. Right? So your provider is one who provides. And mm-hmm. every time you hear an action of God, a verb of God, It is a noun of God as well, because it has substance. It is always that thing. It is never not. So if God is a provider then, you can sure bet your bottom dollar here that he is a provider now. Mm -hmm. We're not just talking about money, are we? We're talking Mm -hmm. about all the things that make us sound and secure. David is writing this psalm probably at a time when he's on the run. And he's been away from the field for a long time. Or it could be an early song he wrote that he's echoing later in life and gets written down, becomes part of the psalms that are recorded and sung in the tabernacle. Mm -hmm. 
whether it started early and it was a refrain that was in his heart as a young boy, or whether it's something he looks back on a long life, remembering what it was like just to be secure and safe, free from attack. Whatever it is that lodged in his heart that reaches across all these centuries is something that deeply impressed him. It is something he believed deeply in. He identified with it completely. Mm -hmm. And I think because it's a worship song, every worship song is an invitation, is it not? To enter into whatever the psalmist is saying so that you too can identify with it or add your own refrain or think a thought that's in compliment with the song you're singing. I've done that constantly when I've been in worship services. When I'm singing a song, it brings new thoughts to my mind. I never stop at just the lyric I'm listening to. It's ringing bells in my heart and mind about other things about my life I can identify with that resonate with this thought, with this reality, this subtext of the eternal interacting with me personally, right here, right now. For me, that's why this psalm has such power, because it's pure, it's simple. The analogy and the place, the location you can imagine this thing happening in is a very small parable. I see a glade, I see waters, I see high mountains, I see everything that's beautiful that I like that I would aspire to go take a long hike to go enjoy. A place that's remote enough, but not so remote that I wouldn't see somebody else or some other thing that was familiar to me. Mm-hmm. It's not like a foreign planet to me. This is some place that I feel in my heart is really recognizable. Yeah, it's very familiar. I've been places like this, and we live close to that now mm-hmm. in North Idaho, where everywhere you look around you, you can imagine sheep up in the hills. In fact, there are shepherds <sighs> of sheep in this state of Idaho that have been here for centuries because it actually fits the bill pretty well. It feeds the sheep well. Mm -hmm. But they also have dangers up in those mountains, and every shepherd knows it. And they're always keeping watch on the wolves and the big cats that live out in the mountains. They're doing the job like David did way back then. And so you could walk right into an upper glade somewhere in the Rocky Mountains up here and see exactly what David is alluding to in these pictures. Mm -hmm. And I love that. It's an eternal scene, really. So how do we identify with this? I find myself identifying with the sheep right away. My first read is, I'm that sheep. I'm the one being soothed. I'm the one being fed. I'm the one that's safe and secure. Yeah, That's the great thing about reading the Psalms in general, is that it's very easy to put yourself into the scene that's being painted by David. You can really quickly, or I can personally, quickly identify with what's going on in the actual Psalm. And so I think that's a beautiful picture that you've just painted, honey. We can actually see ourselves in this place of being a sheep. We can see ourselves in this pasture, grazing on the beautiful green grass, and there's a streams of living water running by us or whatever. We can, we can put ourselves there. And it's not a make-believe situation. No. This is a real life experience that we can have. David talks about every aspect of our lives, that we have need for food and sustenance. We have need for water to keep us from being thirsty. We have need for protection from enemies. And If we are a sheep. If we are a sheep, yeah. but even as a human being. <laughs> yeah, but we're identifying yeah. as a sheep in that regard. The kind of relationship, the comparison of where we are compared to the one who provides for us. He gives them names and gives them roles, gives them job responsibilities. Mm-hmm. Your job as a sheep is to eat, is to not stumble off a cliff. You know, Your job is to grow up and eventually probably make other sheep and enjoy the grass until your last day on earth. You got a job and it's a good one. Mm-hmm. You're doing exactly what you were created to be. So is the shepherd. And I think about if you've ever had a pet, you and I have had some lovely dogs over the years that just seem to get us that really knew us as people, and they were emotionally responsive to us. We really identify with them. We could have conversations with them. We could literally see a dog listen to us and be so curious about what we're saying and feel the way we were feeling about the things we were saying 
and they literally give us back emotional responses. Our daughter has a big dog that just has that empathetic eye to him. Mm-hmm. And if you stop petting him or have to stop talking to him, he might sit there for a while and take his big old paw, put it up on your lap and say, mm-hmm. hey, I'm still here. Yeah. You were talking to me. And something about that communication says, hey, you're my guy right now. So I want you to keep loving on me. I see that spirit in this psalm mm. where he, the sheep, David, is reaching out and just putting his hand gently on Jesus's shoulder and saying, hey, can we talk? I'm still here. By the way, you're an awesome shepherd. Yeah, that kind of picture just explodes in my heart because that's the kind of people we need to be in general, the kind of people that are eager to meet with our shepherd, but also are open and willing to meet with others, to have their hand in our hand and just be that presence, that listening, empathetic presence that all of us need with skin on. Mm -hmm. We can be this by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the indwelling of the Spirit's life in us for another person. That's profound to me. The thing that David is describing and is ascribing to God is the thing I think he knows that God has called him to be. Mm -hmm. But he also has the privilege of getting to step outside that role and just be the sheep too. You can be both things at the same time. And I think the idea of being able to mentor others and love them as they're growing up, and to be loved by those who have gone before you, and ultimately to the eternal, interact in the same way, with the same kind of intimacy and personal relationship, is that gift that's been given to us by this theology that David's put out in the psalm. Theology because it's saying who God is and what he's like. Mm -hmm. Are there other names in this particular passage that jump out at you? Verse 3, he makes me whole again. He creates. He is creative. In my mind, he's constantly on the job of creating, making something out of nothing or taking things which will amount to nothing and changing them to things that will amount to everything. There's still something new to be imagined into being. Yeah, it reminds me of a scripture that, behold, he makes all things new. Not that he makes all new things, Mm -hmm. but all things new, the life that we already have, he renews that Mm -hmm. and makes it as if it were new again. And makes something new in me. Yeah. And the next one was, he spreads the table before me. This for me is ultimate hospitality. This is the father of the prodigal son throwing the gates open and calling all the servants in saying, send the rockets up, fill the balloons. Let's have a party. Everything about that says, you are welcome at my table. You will not leave empty. Mm-hmm. You know, he will fill you up. This to me is an absolute solid bedrock promise from God that if we will spend time with him and ask him for food, he will never let us starve, especially with truth. Mm-hmm. He will never keep us from reality, a new reality for us that's possible to satisfy. If only things we've ever known have been dissatisfaction and emptiness, he flips it on his head and says, no, That's not what you were created for. That's not what I made this universe for. I'm going to fill you up. Mm -hmm. And we dig deeper into this and we start finding out we're really, truly growing. We will never, ever leave the table of God without. Even if our bodies are failing, we can be full in our hearts and our souls. And Voskamp says, let yourself be loved any way that God wants to love you. You are always loved. David is letting himself be loved by the eternal by the one who loves him most, by the one who knows him best, by the one who wants the best for him and from him. I get to let God love me, and I get to be a recipient of that provision. I have a choice. 
And that's where we got to wrap it up for this particular take on Psalm 23. Friends, we got a lot more, I think, to dig into on this six-verse psalm. And we'll be back onto that next week on the next Chasing the Word. Compassion Radio will continue to keep bringing you encouragement from the Word, inspiring stories from the front lines of faith, and awesome opportunities to make a difference for the kingdom around the world. But we need your help right now to continue doing just that. Please take a moment today to consider how you might help us to accomplish our unique media ministry and mission. Remember, friends, Compassion Radio is always a coalition of the willing. Are you willing to help get out God's good news stories of the kingdom really living the gospel in the 21st century? Oh, I hope so. Thank you, friends, for standing with Compassion Radio during these times of great change to our normal life. Of course, there's nothing normal about our situation, but there's also nothing normal about the kind of faith and power we find in Jesus. Just visit our website, CompassionRadio.com, or call our toll-free order line, one 800 868 And note our new mailing address, which is P.O. Box 77160, Corona, California, 92877. Again, that's Box 77160, Corona, California, 92877. Reach out to us whatever way works for you. We need you, friend, so contact us today.